many will turn away from me. If you turn away from someone, that means you first have to be turned toward them. Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilly. Well, once you stand with me this morning, we're going to honor the reading of God's Word today. And to give you some context, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 24, and Jesus has made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. This is what we now call Holy Week. This is somewhere in in one of the days of Holy Week. I'm not exactly sure exactly which day it is, but um, it's certainly before probably Thursday. So somewhere in between Monday and Thursday, this is Jesus' final push right before Passover and the cross, and much of what is recorded in the Gospels actually happens during this week. Uh, in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a lot of content comes just from this week. So today, because it is a little bit of a longer passage, I'm going to read it out loud, and you can quietly follow along in your own Bible or there on the screen. Matthew 24, let's start in verse 3. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when all this will happen. What sign will signal your return at the end of the world? And Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then, oh man, this is really great news here Jesus gives. You will be arrested and persecuted and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you're my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. I'm going to read this part again. And many will turn away from me. Another translation says many will be offended and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. I don't know if you can tell, but this is going to be a real feel-good message today. (laughs) If today's culture were a car, now this I know what I'm about to say is going to hit home for some people, because you're like, I've got car problems right now. But if today's culture were a car, it would be making some really terrible noises. And there'd be a lot of, you know, vibration in the steering wheel, probably. And it wouldn't be right. And you'd probably be broken down on the side of the road. And when that happens, 
what do you do? You take your car to the mechanic, and then they hook up your car to the computer and run a diagnostic. And, and I know that some of y'all just thought that Jesus was the great physician, but he's also the great mechanic. And so Jesus is running a diagnostic on the culture car, and then the error codes start coming up. And I believe the error codes would read pretty much what Jesus said here in Matthew 24. Many will be offended, or many will turn away from me. If you turn away from someone, that means you first have to be turned toward them, right? If you turn away from them, you're first turned toward them. So here, I believe that Jesus is talking about the church, not just the world. Because he's talking about people who are turned toward him. And Jesus says that the, the error codes are there. Many will be offended or turn away from me. So what does that look like? It looks, well, offense. And in extreme cases, apostasy. The buzzword these days is deconstruction, right? And then he says, and betray and hate each other. So then we've got betrayal and hate. These are earmarkers. These are the error codes. So we've got offense. We've got betrayal and hate. Many false prophets will appear and will deceive many. So we've got deception, another error code. That's a very common warning all throughout the New Testament. Jesus mentions it. All the apostles mention it. It's all throughout the epistles. And then Jesus says, sin will be rampant everywhere. So normalized sin is an error code. And then the love of many will grow cold. That word love that's used here in this passage is the Greek word agape, which if you're a believer, you've, for any amount of time, you've probably heard that word before. And the agape love is the love that God has for us. It, it's, it's God kind of love. It's the love that he has for us. It's the kind of love that we return back to him. It's also the kind of love that we show towards one another because he first showed it to us, right? And Jesus said that kind of love is going to grow cold which is another reason why I believe that Jesus is not just talking about the world, but he's talking about the church. So if you're talking about agape love growing cold, I would call this lukewarmness, another error code. Does this sound at all like the culture that we're driving around in right now? Absolutely it does, without a doubt. Another thing to note here is that Jesus said, that these error codes would affect many, not just a few. They would affect many. So that the word that's translated there could be translated also into to meaning the masses or large crowds or great multitudes. So it's not just a few. It's many that are having these issues, and it's not just out in the world. It's also in the church. So what do we do? Do we just passively sit by and just accept it for what it is and say, well, this, this, this is just how, this is how it's gonna be. No, we, we never just sit by and let the error codes just sit there. These are warning signs that Jesus gave us, but Jesus didn't say that you just have to deal with it and let alone. He gave us some good news. He said, if you endure to the end, that you're going to be saved. And that because of that, 
the gospel is going to advance into the nations. Just a few days after this, or sometime after this, when Jesus said this, could have been like the next day or a couple days later, in John chapter 13, he's sitting and he's having um, Passover, he's observing Passover with the disciples, and there's this discourse. And in John 13, Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. And the new commandment is, he says, love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So we don't just settle for apostasy or deconstruction or offense. We don't just settle for betrayal happening and hate. And you guys remember, this is in the church. We don't just settle for the normalization of sin. We don't just settle for lukewarmness. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, gave us a new commandment to follow. He says, love one another is the way that I have loved you. Let us not forget what Jesus said there, coming back in Matthew 24. Again, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it and then the end will come. Jesus is telling us, love one another as I've loved you, and if we endure to the end, we'll be saved. That's good news. I know you're like, this is really heavy. There is a good part to this. We, We can endure to the end. We can be saved. The gospel can advance. That's great news. And you're like, that is good news, JD. But... I'm having a hard time responding to this because I don't know how to endure. How do we do this? It sounds impossible. Well, I will admit that it does sound impossible. Even part of it, part of it, Jesus said was impossible. Well, what do you mean? Well, Luke chapter 17, verse one, Jesus says, it is impossible that no offenses should come. It means Hey, in other words, if you breathe air, if you're alive, then you're going to have the opportunity for sin. If you breathe air, you will be sinned against. You will have the opportunity to get offended. You cannot go live your life in such a way, and maybe if you just go find a, a hole to crawl into and you never speak or talk to anyone ever again for the rest of your life, maybe you can avoid this, but I have a feeling you probably would just offend yourself at some point, you know? But, but if you live a, a normal life like, like we all do, there's no way that you can avoid the opportunity to not be offended. And really, there's probably no way that you can avoid the opportunity to offend somebody. Even the people who want to just be so non-offensive are sometimes offensive, That's really rampant in the culture today, too. But when Jesus said it's impossible that no offenses should come, that word offenses, that's the Greek word scandala. And it's where we get the English word, anybody guess? Scandal, right. And and one of the the definitions for this word, it it, it describes a trap that hunters would, would use to catch small animals and birds. And what they would do is they would... Uh, take a stick and they would bait this stick and the animal would take the bait, it would fall for the trap and then the hunter would then 
be able to kill the animal or capture the animal. So the warning is, is that offenses are traps and they are out there and we cannot prevent them all. Now, yes, certainly there are some things that you can see coming from a distance and you're like, I'm not falling for that. I had an opportunity this week where somebody was asking me a question and I could tell, like, this is bait. <laughs> I'm not falling for that. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. You, you, you can prevent some of them, but you can't prevent all of them. You don't even have to go out looking for these things. They are looking for you. And the idea is that getting offended or accepting offense, living an offended-filled life is a trap that will get you proverbially injured. It'll get you proverbially captured or killed. And we know that's Satan's endgame. Pastor Bob just quoted Jesus when he said the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, right? That's his end game. All right, so going back to Matthew 24, Jesus lays out this digression for us. He said that first, many will become offended. And then an offended person will betray. And betrayal will lead to hate. And if that's not dealt with, it just keeps going on and on. So Solomon, who we know is the wisest king of Israel, he knew some things about this. And in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19, he said this, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. What does a city have to have to be fortified? Walls. Walls. For what purpose? Protection, yeah? Defense, protection. To keep out enemies. And this is exactly what happens to a person who becomes offended. They build walls in their heart and in their thoughts. And then it, it starts, it comes out in their words. And you can see it in their actions. You know, another name for a fortress or a fortified city is stronghold, right? And the Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He said in verse 3, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds. Strongholds of what? Well, what are the strongholds? Human reasoning. And to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Paul is saying that one of the parts of strongholds are the paradigms and the reasonings that we have, it's thought processes and thought patterns that we have that are contrary to the nature of God, they're contrary to who he is and his way of doing things. So here's what happens. We get offended, we get hurt, we start building up walls, strongholds of paradigms and reasonings, strongholds of thought processes and patterns that are contrary to the nature of God, and we do it, though, in the name of defense. We do it in the name of protecting ourselves. 
So we think that we're doing something that's helping us because we think that if I do this, if I throw up this wall, that I'm not gonna be able to get hurt again. This is the start. So we've got our wall built. Then the next part of the digression is, what did Jesus say? Many will betray one another. Betrayal, what is betrayal? We all know what it is. Just a working definition here. When one seeks their own benefit, it's when I seek my own benefit or if I seek my own protection at the expense of the one that I'm in a relationship with. That's betrayal. Biblical examples of betrayal, obvious ones that we know of. A few weeks ago, we mentioned this uh, about how Rachel and Jacob deceived Isaac and Esau, betrayed them. You guys remember that one? That's a, that was a betrayal. When Delilah betrayed Samson. He kind of had that one coming, but it, there's still an obvious answer of betrayal or an obvious example of betrayal. And then maybe the ultimate betrayal in the Bible is when Judas goes and kisses Jesus, revealing that, oh, he's, this is the one that the temple guard has come for in Gethsemane. It's a betrayal of Jesus. We've all probably experienced betrayal on some level or another, some in major ways and some in minor ways. In different times of life, uh, we've been the one even that's done the betraying. In other times of life, we've been the one that's been betrayed. So you've been offended. You've built walls. You have You've fortified yourself. You've built your stronghold of reasoning, your thought processes and patterns, these paradigms. You do it to protect yourself. Now, if push comes to shove, this is what you do. You betray because you're looking out for yourself. You're gonna seek to protect yourself at the expense of the one that you're in a relationship with. And betrayal is really kind of the ultimate act of abandonment of relationship. And so the digression is that many will be offended, the offense will lead to betrayal, the betrayal will lead to hatred. And we see this all throughout our culture in all kinds of relationships. We see it in business deals, We see it with children on the playground. We see it in marriages. We see it happen in families. We see it happen between friends. People that you thought were on your team. And then somehow they reveal that they had a stronghold built. Walls were built. And that next step was betrayal. And then what else did Jesus say? He said, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So who are the many that are going to be deceived? The ones who are offended. It's easy. If you have gone through this process and you're in this digression, it's easy to see 
that offense is going to lead eventually to deception. Why is that? Because you've thrown walls up and you're not willing to allow anything in. So then it's easy for you to not see things clearly. And all of this tells us is that an offended heart is the breeding ground for deception. Let that sink in. Or let that open your eyes. Matthew 7, Jesus says that that false prophets are like wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves are predators that hunt in packs. And one of the strategies of a wolf is to try to isolate a sheep away from the herd. Right? And so... In the in the a sheep inside the herd, there's a level of protection. But the moment a wolf can isolate a sheep away from the herd, it's like sheep. It's what's for dinner, you know. You just we thought it was beef, but for them it's sheep. Proverbs eighteen one says, "A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire." He rages against all wise judgment. Again, offended heart is the breeding ground of deception. The thing about isolation is that it doesn't immediately happen outwardly at first. You you, you get offended and, yeah, you still attend church. You can be around community still at first. But isolation is festering in your heart and it's festering in your thought life. And you start building these walls inside. At first, you're still making it to most Sundays, but maybe you come late and you leave immediately as soon as the service is dismissed. And you still go to your life group, but maybe just not as regularly. And when you are there, you're certainly not as engaged as you should be. Back to Matthew 24, Jesus goes on, he says in verse 12, he says that sin will be rampant. It will be everywhere. Another translation says this, that lawlessness will abound. Lawlessness will abound. That word lawlessness there means you have utter disregard for God's way of doing things. It's not that you're just indifferent. You actually have utter disregard. What's right to them, to an offended heart, what's right to them is just whatever seems right at the given time. Because you can't reason with an offended heart because they're deceived, because they've put up walls, because they've built a stronghold. And so whatever seems right to them at any given time, well, that's what's, that's what's right. That's what is their truth. And this is absolutely the prevailing philosophy of the day. Everything's relative. And relativism is a bankrupt belief system that says there's, there's no absolute truth. And actually, if you look at traditional philosophy, relativism is really an anti-philosophy. It's not the search of truth. It's the deconstruction of truth. It's the rejection of truth. So what happens when, when you start building these walls of reasoning and thought processes apart from God's nature? You start 
down a path of lawless thinking. And lawlessness is not just like substance abuse or sexual immorality or murder. I think all those things would be included in lawlessness. But you can be in lawlessness and not have things go that far just yet. What, what got Adam in trouble in the garden was not a drug charge. What got Adam in trouble in the garden was that he just simply disobeyed God's authority. And lawlessness is when we get out from underneath God's authority. Then, then Jesus said that because lawlessness will abound, then the love of many will grow cold. So many are going to be offended. They'll betray each other. They'll hate each other. Lawlessness comes. Then they're going to disregard God's way of doing things. And then their love for God himself will grow cold. That's not what I want. Is that what you want? I want my love for God to be fiery to be like the white hot fire, like the hottest fire that there is. That's what I want for my love for God, not for it to grow cold. So if I want that, then I'm gonna have to learn how to live an offense-free life. That doesn't mean a, a, a life that, where I can avoid all offense. You can't, remember? Offenses will come. It is impossible that offenses will not come. Jesus himself said that. I can't avoid all offense, but what I can do is decide, do I take this, do I receive this, do I latch onto this, or do I say, no, I'm gonna walk in forgiveness. I'm gonna let this go. Some things we get offended about are little things that come, and if you don't have the habit in your life of <laughs> rejecting offense, you will take even on the littlest things in life. But here's how you deal with little offenses. You just let that be like water rolling off a duck's back. I did. What even was that? Who cares? Let's keep going. And not everything is a little thing. There are some things that are big things. But you determine in your heart today, I'm going to live an offense-free life. Why? Because I know if I don't, my love for God is going to grow cold. And I don't want that. I don't want to be lukewarm. But JD, I have a right to be offended, don't I? Okay. If you've been mistreated, do you have the right to be offended? Well, in one way, you have the right to do whatever it is that you want to do. If you really want to, you can do all kinds of things that are harmful for yourself. If you want to, if, you, if you're, the desire of your heart is to go to hell, then you have the right to do that. You can do all kinds of things that are harmful to yourself because it's your right to. You can do all kinds of things that are harmful to those around you because it's your right to. You can do all kinds of things that are contrary to God's plan for your life because you have the right to. But if you're a believer, 
If you're a disciple, if you're a Christian, then the truth is, is that you don't have any rights of your own. Your life is not yours anymore. Jesus is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. When you say, Jesus, I surrender my life to your lordship, what do you think that means? Do you think those are cute little words? Or do you think that means, Jesus, you're the boss, and now I'm your bondservant. I'm your slave. Someone that's made a lifetime commitment to serve others' needs in a way that magnifies Jesus. That's who I am now. If I say I follow Christ, if I say I'm a Christian, if I say I'm a disciple, if I say I'm a believer, it means I've given up my rights. I am not my own anymore. I belong to him. But J.D., you don't know what they did to me. Listen, I'm not saying that what someone did to you that hurt you was not a big deal. Like I said earlier, though, sometimes I hear (laughs) how some people got their feelings hurt, and I just want to say, well, bless your heart. You don't really know. You don't really know what offense is, but you think you do. Well, bless your heart. But not everything's like that. Not everything's minor. There are serious offenses that we deal with from time to time. Several times in my life, I've been deeply hurt by truly ungodly and malicious attacks. But here's the deal. Any believer who chooses to walk around carrying offense They choose an offense-filled life instead of an offense-free life, and they refuse to walk in forgiveness. This is someone who, who has either forgotten what God has forgiven them of, or maybe they just never realized the full weight and impact of what God has forgiven them of. In Matthew 18, Peter asks this question of Jesus, and he says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Where did this come from? Well, I think scholars say that this was um, kind of a prevalent teaching amongst rabbi of the day. You know, someone forgives you, forgive them seven times. And Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 77 times. And if you read this particular account in Luke's gospel, there's another caveat that's added, and it's not just like 77 times total, then we can start keeping score. Now, Jesus said 77 times a day. And there's other translations that that record this as seven times 70. That's a lot of forgiveness going around. It's a a lot of offense, but it's a lot of forgiveness. In order for me to forgive you 77 times in a day, you're going to have to do something to offend me like every two minutes and 50 seconds or something like that (laughs) in a 24-hour period. That's a lot. In other words, Jesus is saying here, he's saying the way that we forgive, it's not about a specific number. 
Jesus is trying to get a point across here. And the point is, is the way that we should forgive should be like the Father forgives us. God's forgiveness for us is inexhaustible. As long as we repent, as long as we come before him and say, God, I was, I was wrong. I missed it. I turn away from that and I turn back to you. He will forgive you. There's no bottom of the barrel when it comes to God's forgiveness. When you repent, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Amen? Amen. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Je Jesus tells a parable to better explain this right after this. He says that there was this king who had lent some money to a borrower, and it had come time now for the borrower to repay the king of his debt. The guy borrowed 10,000 talents from the king. Not $10,000, 10,000 talents, which is uh, a measurement of money during that time. And if you do the math and you bring that into today's terms, some scholars say that that would be maybe about $7 billion dollars. Can you swallow right there? Is your mouth just like dry throat all of a sudden? Seven billion dollars. That's a serious debt. And the borrower defaulted on his loan. Well, duh. <laughs> right? He can't pay the seven billion dollars. So what does the king do to him? Does he throw him in prison? Does he go and he arrest the rest of his family and throw them all in a, in a labor camp? No, the king forgives the debt. That's unbelievable. Seven billion dollar debt, you're forgiven. What? How would you feel if you had been forgiven a seven billion dollar debt? Now, we all, who's the king in this story? It's, it's heaven, our heavenly father, right? Colossians chapter two says that you are dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not cut away, was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he gave you all your sins. He forgave you $7 billion. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. He forgave your unpayable debt that you didn't deserve. That's some good news, somebody. Amen. So this borrower, he's now been forgiven this unpayable debt. But what does he do? He now goes out and he starts looking for people who owe him money. And he comes across a guy who has defaulted on his loan to him. But it's not $7 billion. It's just 100 denarii. Well, about how much is that? About 15 grand. Okay, $15,000. I wouldn't say that's insignificant. I mean, if someone owed me $15,000, I would want $15,000 back. But what did this guy do who had been shown such mercy, been forgiven $7 billion debt? What did this guy do to the man who owed him $15,000? 
He grabs him by the throat, Jesus says, and he demands instant payment. And when the guy couldn't pay up on the spot, he says, well, I'm pressing charges. And he has this guy thrown into jail. This is one of the craziest things I've ever heard. Someone who has just been forgiven a $7 billion debt and who now has their underwear in such a bunch over $15,000, they're willing to you know, lash out at someone over this after they've been forgiven this unpayable amount. I started thinking about the difference between $7 billion and $15,000. And I thought, is there a way that I can visually illustrate this? Because we, I mean, you can picture those numbers in your head and you can imagine the zeros, but even then, I still don't think that it's really, a, the amount of zeros is a very good visual illustration between the difference between 7 billion and 15,000. And I started thinking about, man, could I like, can I represent, can I like bring in like seven gallons of water and like, um, you know, that could represent $7 billion and how much water would represent 15,000? And it was such a minuscule amount. I was like, no, that's, I can't do that. That's, but I, then I started thinking about sand. And so I just kind of, I just did some math. And so if you say $7 billion is, is, Sand, and you say that's a thousand pounds of sand, which it's not as much as the beach, not even close. But if you took, you know, Tom, if we took your truck right there and we filled up the, the bed of your truck, it'd be about a thousand pounds, it'd be close to it. Maybe a little bit more, but that, it, it's a good rep, visual representation a thousand pounds of sand full of a truck bed. Do you know how much $15,000 would be? One granule of sand. One granule. It is nuts. That's so much that if it were on your finger, you wouldn't even know it was there. Some of you might even have some granules in your shoe right now if you went to the beach over fall break. <laughs> and you, you're like, I, you get home, you're like, wow, I didn't even know that sand was still in there. That's how insignificant $15,000 is compared to $7 billion. And Jesus is saying that the very worst that we can do to one another is like one granule of sand. $15,000 compared to $7 billion debt that we owe to God. And, and if you decide to hold on to offense and you choose not to forgive someone, you have either... You, you have, you have either forgotten what God has done for you or you maybe just never realized it to begin with. Guys, what we deserve is hell. We deserve that. But God, through Jesus Christ, gives us forgiveness. Praise God. And he gives us every spiritual blessing. And he gives us healing, spirit, soul, and body. And he gives us life everlasting, and all of this is incredible. But if you choose offense over forgiveness, you will not endure to the end. What you'll start noticing is that agape love in your heart growing cold, and you'll be taken over by lukewarmness. That fire in your heart for his kingdom, that fire in your heart for his way of doing things. 
the things that are important to him, all of that will begin to dwindle in your heart just like a fire runs out of oxygen. Your life will look like what Paul warned Timothy about in 2 Timothy. He says, I'm gonna warn you and the believers about this in the last days. You might still have a form of godliness, but no power within. You might still be able to have a fence in your heart and you can jump through all the religious looking hoops, but you're gonna deny the life power, the, the life changing power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. The good news is that we've all been forgiven of a debt that we can never repay. And if you keep your heart free from offense, we will endure to the end and we will be saved and, and you won't hinder the advancement of the gospel, but God will use you in some way to catapult the gospel into the world, the good news about Jesus and his kingdom. How many of you wanna be used by God to catapult the good news? Amen. Then we have to learn how to live an offense-free life. The Holy Spirit's speaking to us. He's been speaking to all of us this morning. So let's respond to what he's inviting us towards right now in this moment. Would you just, I'm gonna ask you just for a distraction-free environment route, just close your eyes unless you think that that's gonna make you fall asleep, <laughs> then keep your eyes open. But just close your eyes and just let's lean into what the Holy Spirit is inviting us toward right now. And, and you might be sitting there and you're like, yep, I'm holding on to a fence. And listen, as I've been talking, you've been thinking about names and faces and incidences that have offended you. Maybe it was a friend someone you thought was a friend. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe this goes years and years back, decades back, but you're still holding on to a fence. Maybe it's your spouse or your ex. Maybe it was a leader in your life that hurt you. Maybe it was someone that was supposed to protect you, but they failed. Or maybe they even betrayed you. Maybe it was someone that you had a lot invested into, but they just scorned everything that you ever did for them. We all have a reason. We all have names. We all have faces. But I hope that we would say, yes, what was done to me was wrong but I don't want to live an offense-filled life anymore. I don't want to hold on to unforgiveness any longer. I want to be free from it. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray with me this morning. And what I'd like for us to do is for all of us to pray together aloud. I'm going to say part of a prayer. I'm going to lead you. And I'd like for you to just repeat these lines of this prayer after me. But don't just let it be empty words. If you are here right now and you feel this 
this tension and you want to be released from it. What you're feeling right now is the conviction of the Holy Spirit and he's drawing you to say, all right, here we go. I'm going to give you the power to forgive, but you're going to have to take that step of faith. You're going to have to take that step of obedience and walk toward an offense-free life. God's not going to make you do it. You have to make the choice. And so if you're feeling that right now, or even if you're in your heart, you're maybe it's not that, Maybe you're still just fired up and you're angry and you're, you feel like, man, I have a right to hate this person. I wanna encourage you to let go of that and in faith, by faith, let go of it and say, God, I don't want this to lead me down the path of lawlessness. I don't want this to lead me down the path of being deceived. I don't want this to lead me down the path of betraying other people because I've been hurt. I don't want this to lead down the path of turning away from you or sin abounding in my life. I want my fire for you to be white hot. I ask you to just pray this with me. Don't let it be empty words. Mean it from the depths of your heart. Just follow me here. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to me. I'm done holding on to unforgiveness in my heart. What was done to me was wrong, but I'm done holding on to offense. I repent and renounce unforgiveness. I turn away from it. Thank you for forgiving me and making me clean. Thank you for forgiving me of my debt to you. And I'm asking you for the power to forgive from the heart. By your grace, by the power of your love, grant me the ability to forgive. Now, by faith, you're going to let go of unforgiveness and release the power of forgiveness the Holy Spirit is giving to you right now. And you're going to do it by saying, I forgive. And then you just say that person's name. And I don't want you to say it loud where everybody can hear you around you, but you can just whisper it there under your breath where it's just between you and God. And maybe they're not even here right now. And maybe they don't even know that they've offended you but you're going to release the power of forgiveness and you're not going to let forgiveness have an offense, have any hold over your heart and over your mind and over your life any longer. And you just right now, just say, say their name. I forgive so-and-so. So whoever it is, go ahead and say that. Say that you forgive them and release the power of forgiveness just like Jesus did when he was on the cross, when he was being crucified and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Jesus, we follow your example right now. Now pray this with me. Say, Holy Spirit, fill me with your love. I want a fresh fire for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? Prayer team, go ahead and come forward. This is an ongoing work in your life. This is not, well, that one time I sat there at church on that Sunday in October and... I handled that. That's great. It is good. 
I hope we always remember this, and I hope the Holy Spirit did something impactful in your life just now. But this is an ongoing work that you need for the rest of your life. We are constant. It is impossible for offenses not to come. If you are breathing air, you're gonna have the opportunity. So you need to work this muscle of forgiveness in your life over small things and over big things. There is a resource that I would encourage you to seek out. If you are going through something in your life, you're struggling with unforgiveness, you're struggling with um, bitterness and resentment. It's a book by R.T. Kendall called Total Forgiveness. I've probably read it four times. I've taught from it. This teaching today was not from that, but I have taught about forgiveness on that from, straight from that book. It is uh, probably one of the best resources on the subject that I can think of, and it hits home for all of us. R.T. Kendall, Total Forgiveness. I would encourage you to get it. And really, honestly, even if you're not walking through something right now in your life, just go ahead and get it because you might need it tomorrow. <laughs> That's how life is. My, prayer, my friends in the prayer team are down here. If there's anything in your life that you need prayer for this morning, do not miss this opportunity. Let's pray together. Let's believe and have faith. You need to surrender your life to the Lord today. You need to come back to the Lord. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You want uh, physical healing in your body. You need a breakthrough of some kind. You need a miracle in your finances. You need a miracle in your relationship. You need wisdom from God. Whatever it is, let's pray together and believe that he delights in our prayers and he's at work answering our prayers and he's shaping us as we pray. Amen. Today's benedictions from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 2, 32. Just surrender yourself to the Lord in your posture. Just put your hands out. Now get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, harsh words and slander, as well, of, as, well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Amen? Amen. Go in peace and empower to love and serve the Lord. And if you need prayer, come down front this morning. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTM.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.